This is a production by One and All Media. For more, head to oneandall.media. When you're in the middle of a difficult situation and you feel weak, that's when you're at your strongest. Do you know why? Because that's when God moves in and gives you his power. The weaker you feel, the stronger God is. When the odds are against you, God may require you to do something that seems unreasonable. Today. 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 Today with Jeff Fines, pastor, apologist, and Bible teacher. My name's Aaron, and you're listening to Today with Jeff Fines. Today, we're continuing in the Help series. In this episode, Pastor Jeff is using Judges chapter 6 in the story of Gideon. This message has some tangible applications and advice on what to do when the odds are stacked against you. So keep listening as we start this message from Pastor Jeff. Judges chapter six. As you're turning there, just let me ask you a question. What do you do now, honestly, what do you do when you're in a situation that just looks so bleak that there appears to be no way out, the odds are heavily stacked against you, it does appear that no matter what you do, you're just not going to get yourself out of this. It's a relationship, a job, a financial issue, but what do you do now when the odds are heavily stacked against you, there's no way out, rug has been pulled out from under you, bottom has dropped out, how do you respond? Now, I know we've been in this series called Help. We learned a valuable lesson, at least I hope we did. I hope our eyes were open to something that maybe we'd never seen before. That is that when you are born again, that the new life of God goes into the the soil of your life and you are raised to a higher order of living. Remember we talked about that if you move from dirt to plant life to animal life to man and then to the born again man, with each increase in life, There is a greater sense of awareness of spiritual realities, a greater sense of volition, the power to do what God calls you to do, and a greater sense of feeling, to feel the presence of God actively involved in your life. All those things are good. They're important to know that you do have the power within. But now let's bring it right down on a practical level. Let's be honest. All sounds good in church, but when we get out there, the bottom drops out, the odds are heavily stacked against you, There appears to be no way out. What is it that you do? Now, in the Bible, John chapter 21, verse 25, there is a little passage of scripture that talks about that not everything that happened in the life of Jesus and even in the life of the Israelites is recorded in the Bible. That it would take all the books in all the world to say that everything God wanted to say. So that tells me the Holy Spirit was selective in what it included about the life and teachings of Jesus and what it included in the Old Testament and God's relationship with the nation of Israel. Which leads me further that sometimes there has to be stories then in the Old Testament that the Holy Spirit said, I want that story in there to answer this question that every believer will have. I believe that the story of Gideon found in Judges 6 through 8 was included by the Spirit of God to answer this question. No matter what you believe, how positive you are about the sovereignty of God, what is it that you're to do? What are the practical doings? How do you respond when the odds are against you? Man, there's no way out. Things look bleak and bad. I believe God God revealed this story 
included it in the text of the Bible so that the next time you get into a situation, whether it's a disease or losing your job or financial disarray, that you feel the rug has been pulled out from under you, there is no way out that you go back to these six principles. Because if you will apply them to your life, here's the commitment I'm going to give you. If you apply the principles that God applied into the life of Gideon, you will be victorious. You will win. In the end, there will be success. Judges chapter 6 then. Let me set it up for you. Look up, and then we'll get back to the principles. Now, you remember I've told you about my experiences in the prisons of Rwanda. And I even referred to you this book called Machete Season. In 1994, the Hutu tribe in Rwanda told the Tutsis to come back in from all the surrounding borders, places like Uganda, told them they would give them their land back, they'd give them their homes back. And when all the Tutsis came in, the Hutus then, at just at the, at the green light signal, in a matter of 90 days, slaughtered almost a million Tutsis in the Tutsi tribe. What's amazing about this story is, folks, you, the world didn't see it coming. This is a man living next door to his friend in which he grew up with, in which he played soccer. Uh, together, they lived a life. And all of a sudden, just at the word go and a green light signal, he took a machete out of the shed, walked over to his neighbor, and sliced his neighbor, his wife, and his children. Just like that. And for those who say there's no evil in the world, I can remind them that man is the, the greatest uh, testimony to the amount of evil in this world and what we do to each other. The reason I bring that up, and preaching in those prisons was an incredible experience. I've gotten that opportunity again. I'll tell you more about that later. The reason I start like this, though, is I want you to understand when we come to Judges 6, and the Midianites are fighting the Israelites, it's genocide. It's not a cute little story you find in the cute little book called the Bible. It's reality. And here's how they're doing it. Rather than marching down and destroying all the Israelites in warfare, because in reality, the Midianites are all well-trained warriors. The Israelites are farmers. They don't know how to fight. And so the Midianites know this. They just wait until the Israelites have worked really hard to get the harvest. And right at harvest time, the Midianites come riding down with their horses and chariots and they burn all the crops and burn all the livestock. They figure, why waste any of our men? We're just going to burn and starve them into extinction. The Bible says that when the Midianites came down, they were like swarms of locusts. They were well-armed, well-trained. They did not spare a living thing. They came down seven years in a row, so much so that now the Israelites are afraid. They're hiding in the clefts of the rocks. They are uh, hiding in the caves, in the strongholds. And finally, in chapter 6, verse 6, the Bible says that Midian so impoverished the Israelites that they cried out to the Lord for help. Now, let me just stop there. That's always the right response. Always. When you're in a situation, you think there's no way out, you think your life's about to come to an end, it's all about destruction, the best thing you can do is pray. They prayed, God heard their prayer, God responds, and he calls a man by the name of Gideon. Now, I want you not to miss the impact of this story. You put yourself in Gideon's shoes. God is going to use Gideon to defeat the Midianites. Gideon is not a warrior. He's facing 135,000 Midianites, and he only has 32,000 on his side, and they're all farmers. He knows that the odds are incredibly stacked against him. He has seen the power of the Midianites for seven years. Now, it's as we move through this story and see how God responds and corresponds with Gideon that we learn these six valuable lessons that if you will put these principles into action, when your life comes to what you think is the end, when you are in a living death, 
when the rug has been pulled out from under you, the odds are against you. You employ these principles. I'm telling you, you will receive a victory. You will be able to have great success. So here's the first one. God will use my difficulties to build my faith. God will use my difficulties to build my faith. Now here, before God can use Gideon to slay a giant, he's got to equip Gideon. He's got to build Gideon's faith in his own God's faithfulness. Now, how do you do that? Now, that's why it's no surprise. Now, picture this. Gideon is down in, uh, he's threshing uh, wheat. So he's protecting this wheat from Midianites. He's looking over the wall, making sure the Midianites aren't coming, and he's hiding from them and gathering this wheat to feed his people. At that point, an angel of the Lord comes to Gideon and says, oh, Gideon, oh, valiant warrior. Now, you'll excuse Gideon for saying, what are you, crazy? What do you mean, oh, valiant warrior? I'm not a warrior. I'm a farmer. Do you see me? I'm hiding here. I've been hiding for seven years. I'm scared to death. Don't call me, oh, valiant warrior. And the angel of the Lord says, the Lord is with you. Gideon says, don't give me that stuff. The Lord is with me. Where's the Lord been? Where is the God our forefathers talked about? Walking through the Red Sea, seeing the walls of Jericho fall. Where's that God? Seven years, Mr. Angel. Seven years we've been impoverished. We're hungry, we're starving, and we're afraid. So back off. That's what literally, that's a little loose translation, but that's what he says. Now, put yourself in Gideon's place. Gideon says, you know, I'm facing incredible odds here. There's 135,000 Midianites, 32,000 Israelites, better than a four to one odd. And the odds are against Gideon. He's scared to death, so he's gonna play a little game with God. Now, I think there's humor all through this passage. He goes to God and he says in verse 36, God, if you will save Israel by my hand, now notice something, God already told him he was. God already told him in chapter six early on, I am going to give the Midianites into your hand. We are going to conquer. Now, that's not good enough for Gideon. Think about it. the word of God is not good enough for Gideon. So Gideon goes back and says, now if it's true that you will, then I will place a wool fleece on the threshing floor. What does that mean? Gideon said, God, if, if, if you really will, I'm gonna place this wool on the floor and when I wake up tomorrow morning, I want it to be wet on the wool and dry on the ground around it. Gideon goes to sleep, wakes up. That's exactly what God did. And then Gideon comes to God and says, God, now, now, now don't be angry. Now he says that because he knows God's going to get ticked. Look, I told you I would. I'm God. It's not just some friend or neighbor. I'm God. I said I would deliver you. Now I've given you one sign, you want another, which is why it never works for any of you. When you sit under a tree and you say, God, I'm in trouble. Give me a word. You open it up and you read a scripture. If you don't like it, you say, God, give me another scripture. And if you don't like that, you keep going. You're going you're gonna to keep doing it until you get the one you like. Fleece throwing or opening the Bible blinded is not a way whereby to discover the will of God. And so Gideon goes back. Now, God, don't be mad, but here's the deal. This time, I want you to make it dry on the fleece and wet on the ground around. And God does exactly that. Now, what I notice here is God never reprimands Gideon for asking him these questions. I think it's beautiful. Why? Because God is going to be patient in building Gideon's faith. He's going to have to build his faith in God's faithfulness if he's going to be able to slay the giants of Midian. Now, listen, the same is true in your life. If you want God to use you to accomplish something grand, to be a giant slayer, it might be world hunger. I don't know what it, world peace, whatever it is. If God is going to use you to accomplish something great, how does he do it? By giving you an easy life? I don't think so. By putting you in situations where the rug is pulled out from under you, where the odds are heavily stacked against you, and the only way you can be victorious is God. And so that you let go of everything else you trust on, you run to God, God builds your faith when he comes in to deliver, even though it's not in your timing, because you want it done tomorrow. 
And then he comes in and delivers, and the next time you have to face a giant, guess what? You're a giant killer. Now, I love the exchange verbally between David and King Saul, remember? Now, again, I'm going to play a little with the text here, but God knows I mean well. David goes into King Saul, and he says, I'll take this guy Goliath out for you. I'll take him out. And King Saul says, look, man, I've got a whole group of people out here. None of them are willing to fight Goliath. You're a little shepherd, boy. You're coming in out of the shepherding fields. Why should I, why should I think that you can defeat Goliath? Because look, everybody's on the line here. He wins. We all become servants. David says, let me tell you why, and I'm going to play a little. I'll tell you why, because I'm a shepherd boy, and I was out in the fields, and a lion came out, pow, smackdown. He said, a bear came out, and body slam. I'm telling you, I have slain bigger giants, because it's not up to me. The battle belongs to the Lord, and the same God who gave me the power to slay the lion and the bear is going to take out this giant. King Saul thought, wow, this guy's got a lot of faith, and he does have a lot of faith because God has built his faithfulness. If you want God to build your faithfulness, if you want God to make you into a giant killer, you cannot have an easy life. You've got to allow God to put you on the hot seat, pull the rug out from underneath you so that the only thing you can trust in is God, and God delivers, and the next time you face a giant, you win. This is, why, this is what I say to all the young people in here. Listen carefully. God, starting right now, or probably years ago, will take advantage of every opportunity he has to build your faith and every opportunity to demonstrate his faithfulness to you. And God cannot demonstrate his faithfulness and his power unless you're in a predicament that is really, really bad. When the odds are against you, first thing you've got to know, God will use your difficulty to build your faith. Number two, God will often require us to do what seems to be unreasonable. Look at this. 135,000 Midianites in the valley well-trained, well-equipped warriors, 32,000 farmers, better than a four-to-one odd. Now, young people, stay with me. You can see Gideon. Gideon says, okay, all right, take a deep breath. God says we're going to win, four-to-one odds. I know God is going to do something special. Maybe we're going to blow the trumpet and call the Ephraimites to come over and help us. We'll boost our numbers, at least get them even, so it can be four-to-four. So he goes to a staff meeting. Yes, God, I'm here. Okay, Gideon, here's the fourth order of business. Chapter 7, verse 2. You have too many men. <clears throat> Excuse me? You got too many men. Uh, God, is this like new math? It's 135,000 to 32,000. That's better than a four to one, and the odds aren't in our favor. What do you mean? God says, listen, Gideon, I said you have too many men because God is building Gideon's faithfulness. So Gideon says, okay, God, what do you want me to do? I want you to take the army out. I want you to line them all up. I want you to ask them one question. Raise your hand if you're afraid. Now, it's four to one odds. The Midianites are well-trained warriors. The Israelites are just farm boys. Raise your hand. Out of the 32,000, 22,000 raised their hands and said, I'm afraid. And God said to Gideon, tell them to go home. Now, can you imagine you're Gideon? Oh, man, they're, they're all leaving. Now, this is not that preposterous because in Deuteronomy chapter 20, verse 1 through 3 and verse 20, God had already told the Israelites, when you go into battle, you are not to be afraid because the battle belongs to God. It's not yours to fight. You just do what I tell you to do. And then he said, if any of you, if you are afraid, let that man, each man, go home to his own tent. It's God's way of knowing what all of us know. Fear is contagious. One coward breeds another coward. And before long, if you don't trust in the power of God, you start talking amongst yourselves and nobody's listening to God. Paul told Timothy, ours is not a spirit of fear or timidity. We don't face things as if we're on our own or helpless, that the God we serve is able to save us. And if you don't believe that, God says to those warriors, go home. Now, there are times I want to say that to my staff. Now, I have a good staff. I do. 
But I want to get them in a room and I want to say to them, look, you don't believe that God can bring revival to this valley? Go home. You don't believe that God can heal addictions? Go home. You don't believe he can restore families? Go home. You don't believe that he's using your situation as difficult as it is to build your faith? Go home. That's what God says. Now, that's easy for me to say. Another thing if you're Gideon. Verse 4, but the Lord said to Gideon, there are still too many. Just when you think it can't get any worse, you go four to one, 13 to one, God says, still too many. By this time, I'm sure Gideon's like the old guy who fell off the cliff and he's hanging on by a branch jutting out of the rocks and he yells up over the cliff and he says, is there anybody up there? And a voice comes back, yes, it's God. Help me, God. Okay, just let go. And about 30 seconds later, the guy says, is there anybody else up there? That's the trouble. When God gets involved, he may require you to do something that seems to be unreasonable, but it is the key to your success. So Gideon takes the guys down. God says, I want you to take them down to the spring of Haran. I want you to have them take a drink, and I want you to watch the way they drink. Some are going to get down on all fours, and they're going to drink the water from the spring with their lips to the water. But there's a whole other group. They're going to get down on one knee, and they're going to take the water and scoop it with their hand into their mouth. God said, Gideon, I want you to watch them. Everybody that gets down on all fours and drinks straight from the spring with their lips, send them home with those guys who were afraid. Everybody else that gets down on one knee and scoops the water into their mouths, I want you to use them, and I'm going to use them to defeat the Midianites. Now, do you want to know how many went home? 9,700 are gone. 300 men are left. 300 men. Now, 135,000 to 32,000, we started out four to one odds. We moved to 13 to one odds with 135,000 and 10,000. Right now I'm sounding like an auctioneer because I'm moving quickly. 135,000, now we have 300. That's 450 to one odds. This is hand-to-hand -hand combat. 450 could run up on one guy and beat him half to death or to death. Why the test? Well, let me meander a little bit here. Here's what I think God was doing with Gideon. He said that the spring of Haran was right next door to the enemy camp, which means when you're getting a drink of water, the enemy's looking right at you. You're looking at the enemy. Those guys who got down and just drank with their mouth took their eye off the enemy, and the only thing they were interested in was getting their need met. But those guys who got down on one knee and took the water and scooped it to their mouth, they kept one eye on the enemy and one eye on getting their physical need met. Here's the deal. God's saying to Gideon, there's some people who are in this battle. They're not serious about the battle. And if they're not serious about the battle, they're not going to make it. Send them home. There are lots of people in the battle. That's what Christianity is. It is a battle for us to become conformed to the image of the Son of God. And to do that is going to require some pain and some times when we feel like the odds are against us and there's no way out. And if you're not in the battle and you're not serious about it, when the difficult times come, you're going to run and you're not going to be open to God shaping, molding, and conforming you. C.S. Lewis in Mere Christianity wrote one of the most powerful paragraphs. It's not on the screen. You're going to have to listen. Imagine yourself as a living house. God comes to renovate the house. At first, you can understand what he's doing. He's getting the drains right, stopping the leaks in the roof. You knew those jobs needed to be done, so you're not surprised. But after a while, he starts knocking the house around in a way that hurts, and it does not seem to make sense. What on earth is he up to? Answer, he is building quite a different house than the one you ever thought of. He's throwing out a wing here and putting on an extra floor there and putting up towers and making new courtyards. You thought when you first came to him, he was going to make you into a decent little cottage, but he's building a palace. Why? Because he intends to live in it himself.
Listen, your response to seemingly insignificant little tests will be the determining factor of whether or not God uses you. Your response to seemingly insignificant little tests, like how you act around your boyfriend or girlfriend, what you do when you have a tough decision to make that will be in consistence with Christ or with the way of the world, those little tests may not mean a lot to you, but to God, they will determine. They will be the determining factor of whether or not God uses you to slay a giant. Somebody says, well, Jeff, are you telling me that if I kick and scream and I respond poorly to difficult times or to hard decisions, that I forfeit my opportunity to be used by God? Chuck Swindoll says, no. You just guarantee that you're going to stay in the trial a little bit longer until you get it right. When the odds are against you, God may require you to do something that seems unreasonable. Number three, God will always lead us to do that which gives him the most glory. Now stay with me. This beautiful story, it starts to evolve, starts to grow, because in verse two, the Lord said to Gideon, you have too many men for me to deliver Midian into their hands in order that Israel may not boast against me that her own strength has saved her. Now we're getting the real picture, right? Now it's starting to become crystal clear. Why is God sifting the army? Because he wants to make sure at the end of the day when the victory comes, the only one who gets the glory is God. Now you think about it. Four to one odds, you could say, you know, it was a, it was a, the odds were against us, but we fought hard and won. 13 to one odds, you know, it was very difficult, but we did it. But if it's 135,000 to 300, 450 to one odds, the only way to be victorious is God. That's why when you're in the middle of a difficult situation and you feel weak, that's when you're at your strongest. Do you know why? Because that's when God moves in and gives you his power. The weaker you feel, the stronger God is. And the weaker you feel when you experience the victory, you know that God gets the glory. You know the only way you can describe what happened is because God moved in and did a miracle. God gets the glory. You know it. He knows it. And everybody around you, as they watch how you responded to this difficulty, they know it. Now, folks, I've seen this in churches and people. Let's do churches first. This church right here. There was a group of people that met about, I don't know, five miles from here. But they were convinced, a lot smaller group than is here at this church now, they were convinced that this property was given to them by God. And this is where God wanted them to do ministry. So you know what they did? They did the numbers, put them on paper. When they did it, they said, this is impossible. And that proved to them that it was from God because they did it and look what God provided. And you're enjoying the faith of a small committed core in the power and faithfulness of God. But I've also seen it in individuals. Now I want you to stay with me here. You've heard me talk about my experience in Zimbabwe of losing our first child. You've heard me talk about the faith of my wife. I want to tell you something. And men, listen very carefully. There's an indirect lesson in this. You know, when we lost our first child, I was newly married. We hadn't been married that long. Obviously, at least nine months. But we hadn't been married. I was new at the marriage ceremony and the marriage relationship. And so I was learning how to be a husband, much less a father. And when we lost our child in that accident, I did not know how to respond to my wife because I was raised in a home where if there's something really, really difficult happening, everybody just ignores it. Sound familiar? And so when this happened, I did not know how to comfort my wife. I didn't have the foggiest idea because my parents hadn't taught me that. And I just prayed, God, you know, what's going, you know, 
God, I don't know what to do. What, what do I say to her? And you know, the, the thing that my wife needed most of all was what? Her husband to hug her and assure her that it's okay, that she is loved and that God is on the throne. You've been listening to Today with Jeff Fines. Thanks for joining us. Next time, we'll bring you the rest of this message from Pastor Jeff. Now you talk about a funny dream, a big mean loaf of barley bread came down the mountain and hit the tent, struck the tent and it fell upside down. Now that's funny, but what's more funny is the interpretation because his friend doesn't even pause. Wow, I know what that means. It means this can be nothing other than the sword of Gideon, son of Joash, the Israelite. God has given the Midianites and the whole camp into his hands. What? You can listen to more messages like this. Just search for Today with Jeff Fines wherever you listen to podcasts. Today. 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 Today with Jeff Fines. This is a production by One and All Media. For more, head to oneandall.media.